Hi friends, it's Pastor Drew Wilkerson from Bridgewater Church. Hey, thanks for stopping by this podcast. It's our prayer that as you listen, God will speak to your heart and you will feel inspired and you'll learn new things that will help you in your daily walk with God and just in life in general. So again, thanks for stopping by and thanks for listening. Good morning. How are you, church? It's great to see family and friends gather together to hear God's word once again. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't believe in luck. I I don't believe in it at all. In fact, I love the story about a lost dog sign that read, Lost one dog, brown hair with several bald spots, Right leg broken due to to an auto accident. Rear left hip hurt. Right eye missing. Left ear bitten off in a dogfight. Answers to the name Lucky. I I don't believe in luck. I never have. I shy away from any greeting card for birthdays or anniversaries that use the word luck. When somebody says to me that they have been lucky, I just smile and nod my head. If somebody says to me, I make my own luck, again, I just kind of think to myself, well, we'll see how things turn out. It's not that I'm a fatalist by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't believe in luck. I do believe in God's blessing. In fact, that's one of the reasons I love the story of Esther. Esther's story is fascinating, and I don't believe that there's one evidence, one shred of evidence, that luck played any part in the blessing of God on the life of Esther, Mordecai, and the Jewish people. Today... We're coming to the climax of Esther's story as it begins to unfold. We're right at the start of it. And today is the day we've come to a message called the Revelation of Truth. Martin Luther King Jr., and I have another quote from him this week, he said, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. The end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. That's Esther. That's Mordecai. They wanted to do God's will no matter what. They weren't depending on luck. They certainly didn't believe in coincidence. They continually put all of their trust in God. Now let's do a quick recap. Esther, King Xerxes, and Haman have gathered for a second banquet. And what I think is interesting is, if you remember, Haman has paraded Mordecai through the streets of Susa, being honored by King Xerxes, the very man Haman hated, God has elevated. But now... Haman has rushed home and he received no comfort at all from his wife or 
would-be friends he now calls advisors. In fact, pretty much, they think his gloom and doom are evident. There are people who have come to gather up Haman in the beginning of this story, and he's taken to the second banquet held by Queen Esther. In today's passage, in chapter 7, verses 1 through 10, there are two truths that God reveals to us that is exciting. They're exciting because this is a wonderful moment. It's the aha moment when you and I get to experience what we've been reading about and studying about for so long. What happens to Esther, and what happens to Mordecai, and what happens to Haman? But these two truths are also, at times, difficult to absorb. We're going to be challenged this morning, and it all begins in Esther chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king asked again, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he? The man who has dared to do such a thing. Okay. God's revealing truth, and here's the first one. Here's the first truth. We can hear God break his silence. Did you know that we can literally hear God when he breaks his silence? It's happened to me on numerous occasions. I know you're going to think it's corny, but it happened to me every time I heard one of my children being born And their first cries resounded throughout the room. And I thought, God is breaking his silence. I've heard God break his silence in a thunderstorm as it clapped across the prairie in South Dakota. I've heard God break his silence when I have prayed so long for an answer. And then it finally came, and I was elated. Have you ever heard God break his silence? Esther was waiting for the king and Haman to arrive. It didn't take long before they were sitting, and when you read in Scripture that it says that they were drinking wine, the wine was normally served during the meal, And here's here's what we realize. They're eating together. 
And I think Esther had that nervous energy. (laughs) You know something's coming and you're putting all your trust in God and you're just waiting. King Xerxes asked Esther again, what's your petition? What's your request? He asked her when he first gave her the scepter. He asked her during the first banquet. He's asking her again. What is your request? And as promised, Esther was ready to break her silence because God was ready to break his. Oh, listen. Let's let's not talk when God says, be still. Let's not say words we're going to regret when God says, just keep your mouth shut. But when God says it's time, we're going to know it. Lean in in those moments, and here's why. I was blown away by an insight by Pastor Tony Evans. It's crucial for where we are in our story. Listen to what Dr. Evans said during a message. When God shakes your world, when he rocks your world with something that interrupts your world, God is in the process of making a correction. God is correcting the physical that has trumped the spiritual. God is putting things back in its rightful place. God is orchestrating a correction. Mm. I see in this passage the need for a God-given correction. In 127 provinces of the Persian kingdom, soon all the Jews could possibly be killed. That's the edict from King Xerxes. But then God, as Pastor Evans beautifully points out, He breaks through to orchestrate a correction. Now, if you're like me, I'm thinking, couldn't God have stopped all this from the get-go? And then two reminders come to my my mind. They're, They're crucial. First is this. God gives humans free will. You know this. God gives humans free will. God, God is here to bless each of us, and I I I had my thoughts drift into the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus said, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteousness. Or in the unrighteous. We might think, man, life's unfair. Anybody ever think life's unfair? Anybody? You ever think, well, why, why doesn't God just intervene? Especially if we believe in God and we know God has incredible power. Well, God does intervene. Come on, church. God is available to us and, and working in us and through us every day of our lives. But we can't forget that God loves us so much, he gives us free will. And that leads to another insight. My second reminder, as I'm reading this, God is sovereign. 
God really is sovereign. There are days I don't want God to be sovereign. There are days I want God to simply do what I want in the moment. But God says, look, Drew, I have a plan that's bigger than you for your life and how your life will impact the lives of others. You don't see how all the pieces fit, but there's a bigger picture here for the kingdom of God. God will never allow earthly plans to be overrun. He'll never allow, in fact, can I say it this way? God will never allow earthly plans to overrun his eternal purpose. And and that's what we see orchestrated here. Esther sitting at the banquet. The king asked her. She had promised to give an answer. But I really believe this. This to me is a backstory written in between the lines of scripture that we don't see. I believe that during fasting and prayer, seeking God in sackcloth and ashes, Mordecai and the Jewish people of Susa and then even Esther realized a strategic plan that God wanted Esther to follow. God wasn't wasn't silent in the sense of being absent. God was simply silent and waited for the right moment when he could empower Esther to speak on behalf of her people. Now, that's where I think this gets interesting. Esther finally says to King Xerxes, Here's my request. I want you to realize that my people need to be saved. They're going to be annihilated. Someone wants them killed. Wow, do you see it? Do you see God break his silence? Esther admits the Jewish people are her people. She's not ashamed. The moment is now. And then, I'm amazed at at how Esther has been waiting on God. And as she's waiting on God, God has been preparing her heart. She has a cultural sensitivity. Now, please, do not, do not put this century, 2022's transparency over the words of Esther. Here's what what we don't like. Slavery has never been right. Slavery has always been wrong. But you're probably thinking, why does Esther even add this whole line? If, If this was just about your enslaved people, the Jews, I would not have bothered you. Here's why. Here's why. Listen. Esther isn't saying the slavery was right. What Esther is saying is right now in this moment what's important and what God has told me to say is the Jewish people need to be saved. That's what is important. Do you and I know what's important in the moment? It doesn't mean that all these other things don't need to be addressed. But right now what we're talking about is a truth revelation. And in this moment, I believe all of heaven is waiting for God to break his silence. I can remember a time, and I think about it, as our church has been in the process of 
selling some property and, and praying about for years to become debt-free. That's been a prayer on my heart for 12 years. And I'm, I recall a time when I was in Pennsylvania in a small town when we ended up in front of uh, the zoning commission who had the authority to accept a zoning plan for us to sell our, our old church and be able to relocate to a new piece of property. I walked into the borough, as it was called, not a township, but a borough council meeting, and the place was jam-packed with people that did not want us to sell our church building. They could care less about our church. They just didn't want us to sell the church building. Not to this developer. And I can remember, this blew my mind. When I walked in, the outgoing chairperson of the zoning commission said, Pastor, we've already decided not to allow it, but if you want to, in a few minutes, we'll let you talk. I thought, wow, God, where are you? We need to sell our building. God, what's going on? The plans of humans seem to be overtaking the plans of your kingdom. God, we need a course correction. And I'll tell you, I won't tell you all the details, but I can tell you that at the end of that meeting, the answer was no. I think I gave one of the most beautiful uh, a list of reasons to let us do this. It would have looked like humans were in charge. When I walked out of the meeting, I had a woman from our church. Very few people from our church actually showed up that night. One woman walked out and she said, what are we going to do now, pastor? I looked at her and I said, I'm not sure what God wants to do next. And I went home and prayed. The next morning I got up and somebody called and said, pastor, we'll take care of the zoning. If you will allow us, we'll buy your building. We'll buy it in cash and we'll give you $500 more than the original offer. I'm like, God is sovereign. God is is in control. I could hear God break his silence. Listen, God has a plan even when humans try to wreak havoc on God's divine design. And this is where this is where I think it's so interesting in the story when Xerxes answers Esther's request like this. He says, "Who is he?" Who is he, the man who dared to do such a thing? I want to go, come on, Xerxes. You were right there when Hammond asked permission, and you didn't ask any questions. Your eyes were wide shut. You were so preoccupied with your own personal fog of feelings that you let someone lead you astray and lead you away from the truth. That's what I want to say. I want to jump up and say, hey, Listen, this is, this is your own fault, but did you notice Esther doesn't do it? You know why? It can happen to all of us, every one of us. You ever been tempted to blame God when you didn't get things you wanted or it didn't come the way you thought it should? Have you ever struggled to embrace all of God's word? And when it suited us, have we ever, have we ever just tried to rewrite Scripture? 
I want to be harder on Xerxes, but I have to be careful because I'm a human being too. And God is reminding us in this story, wait, listen, and when the time is right, here's the truth. We can hear God break his silence, which leads to this second truth and this incredible uh, ending to chapter 7. Esther said, an adversary, and enemy, this vile Haman, don't you love reading scripture with drama in it? Esther said, an adversary, and enemy, the vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace guard to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. Then the king <laughs> exclaimed, wow, this is so great. Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, a pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. Here's the second truth for this morning. Trust God beyond what we can see. When God reveals his truth to us, we have to understand we'll never see all of the bigger picture. Not until God's ready. And in the meantime, we have to trust God beyond what we can see. Do you see the truth coming to light in the story? Just look at how Hammond was overwhelmed with fear. He should have been. The last 48 hours, he's done all the talking. Now God is speaking. As soon as the king hears Haman's name, he's enraged. I don't know. Maybe Xerxes is enraged because he feels he got played. Maybe Xerxes is, is fiery and upset because he needs to save face. Maybe Xerxes realize, realizes that He's been too, too nonchalant in his conversations. But here's one thing we do realize. He's mad. He rushes into the, into the palace garden. Do you remember that from chapter 1? Do you remember the elaborate garden that was set up when all the nobles were coming for a party that lasted six months? This is the same garden he would have gone into, this paradise garden i think he was collecting his thoughts now scripture tells us he's already decided hammond's fate but i i do believe the king was trying to get a hold of his emotions in this moment after all the life of the king's wife is at stake now the thing that i think is most remarkable is that just the day before esther is concerned about whether she will be able 
to keep her life. Remember the whole golden scepter thing? But if you read this passage carefully, Esther is now reclining. She's now reclining. And just, just press pause for a moment. I want you and I to be reminded of this. When we trust God beyond what we can see, there is not a mountain that God can't move. Now, when God moves mountains, buckle up. You and I need to buckle up when God begins to move a mountain. It's probably going to turn out a harder process than we thought. And it may turn out, in the end, not the way we wanted it or we planned it. And, and this is hard. Remember, God is sovereign. This is hard. But God is good. But God is good in the midst of all this. Esther hasn't had an easy time of it. And it wasn't easy to go to the king and not only ask that she be welcome into his presence, but now she is pleading for the life of the Jewish people, her people. She's also brought a, a, a realization to the king about who she is. Now I think, I think this is, it's almost hilarious. <laughs> When the king rushes back in, I don't know, maybe even walks back in, what's the first thing he sees? But a, a fearful, terrified Haman falling at the reclining couch of Esther. There, there is an uh, ancient Aramaic paraphrase of the Hebrew Bible that literally says it was the angel Gabriel that pushed Haman. I, I just love that. Listen, regardless of how it happened, when Xerxes comes in the room, he sees Esther, she's at peace. She's reclined on the couch She's told the king, it's all in God's hands. She is trusting God beyond what she can see. And then here is Haman, the villain. Here is Haman, the, the orchestrator of the annihilation of the Jews. The man who tried to get the king to let him kill Mordecai. At least that was his intention before he had to parade Mordecai through the streets in honor. Listen, I look at this, and I'm thinking, are you thinking this? We serve a just God. When we trust God with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding, and when we in all our ways acknowledge Him, He directs our paths. Why? Because we can trust God beyond what we can see. And here's what happens in this moment. The king is, is, is like, you're molesting the queen? Right here? And his attendants cover Haman's face. Some scholars actually believe it, it, was, it was like the covering on the face of a man sentenced to death. Now, listen... Now listen, don't miss this. It is the king's eunuch, Harbona, who speaks just at the right moment. And he says, O king, there is a pole. Now what this literally is, is a gallows. 
O king, there's a 75-foot pole, a hangman's uh, uh, gallows, right by Haman's house. And he wanted to kill Mordecai. And the king, king says immediately, impale him. Literally, hang him. And all of a sudden, Haman is out of the picture. He's done in the story. Why? Because he's been killed. I want you to grab onto this this morning. There's a huge difference between letting the chips of life fall where they may and choosing to trust in God to see beyond what we cannot see. God is sovereign. We, we, we have to choose. Will we trust God or will we give in to, to our emotions, our feelings, the, the whispers and the shadows from people who are not choosing to trust in God? What will we do? Listen, this morning, I want to give you three incredible life lessons before we close about what it really means to trust God beyond what we can see. Here's the first. God never intended our fog to be fatal. God never intended our fog to be fatal. I was driving uh, overnight from Pennsylvania to uh, Mississippi to go on vacation with family. We were young, we were poor, we didn't have any money to get a hotel room, and I said to Kay, uh, let's just drive straight through the night. It was going to take about uh, 18 hours is what it was going to take. And so we were driving, and in the middle of the night, I was tired, I was overwhelmed, and we hit a fog in Alabama that was as thick as pea soup. I looked over at Kay and I said, I, I think I'm just too tired. I've got to pull off. And Kay looked at me, who was already sleeping, and she said, let's just keep going. <laughs> and I did. And we got there, and I went right to bed. I was exhausted. I was reminded of that moment when I read this story because God never intended our fog to be fatal. I want you to understand how important this is. Uh, God still speaks to us today. And never think that you and I need a, a dream dictionary. We don't need palm readers to understand what God is doing in us and through us. We just have to be patient. We just have to wait. We have to embrace all of God's word and put our trust in him. Just remember, right now you may be in a fog, but that fog was never created by God to be fatal. Here's another insight. God's timing is not based on our crisis, but his consistency. I think sometimes we, we feel like we're having a crisis and we need God to rush in. And we need God to do exactly what we need. Maybe we've been talking to him in prayer. Maybe we haven't called on him in a long time. But we're in a crisis. God, you got to show up right now. But I want you to know the truth from Esther's story just resounds off the walls of every chapter. God's timing is not based on our crisis, but God's 
consistency. I was thinking about a writer who has had a high impact on my life. His name is Henry Blackaby. In a group of material he wrote called Experiencing God, Blackaby said this, The crisis of belief is a turning point where you must make a decision. You must decide or choose what you believe about God. How you respond at this turning point will determine whether you will continue to go on to be involved with God in something God-sized that only He can do, or whether you will continue to go your own way and miss what God has purposed for your life. This is not a one-time experience. It's a daily experience. How you live your life is a testimony of what you believe about God. When God calls a person to join him in a God-sized task, faith is always required. Obedience indicates faith in God. Disobedience often indicates a lack of faith. Without faith or obedience, a person cannot please God. God's timing is based on our is not based on our crisis, but God's consistency. If you're having a crisis of belief, lean into God. Don't lean away. Don't try to run away. Can you imagine if Esther and Mordecai had done that? Can you imagine if Mordecai said, I'm fleeing the country? Can you imagine if Esther said, well, I'm just going to rest on, the, on my royal title for my, for my life? No, these two people leaned into God. They became world changers. We are called to be world changers as well. And that's why the third life lesson is, is I think, a key. A key that unlocks the door of God's blessing. God's sovereignty is not surprising to him, but solace to us. Don't ever be surprised that God has all the pieces put together. That God sees beyond the rim of this world that we're living in. And he knows what will happen next. We just have to give in to God by faith and not run away from God because of our feelings. But listen to this, listen to this. When we trust the sovereign God, God's not surprised, but he does bring solace, comfort, hope, and grace to us in the right moment. Mm. We have to trust God beyond what we can see. This morning, are you ready to trust God beyond where you are in this moment? Are you ready to say to God, I, I want to be a world changer? Are you ready to say to God, I know I'm in a crisis of belief. Don't shrink. Don't don't give up. Stay the course. Lean in. Move ahead. You're not alone. God is with you. And if God is with you, who else do we need? In fact, if God is with us, who can stand against us? Do this this morning. Let's close and remember that God is ready to lift the fog of our lives if we'll trust him. Can we put our hands out? Can we tell God physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually that we're ready to put all of our faith in Him? Let me pray. 
Father, I am honored. I am humbled. I am blessed to be able to share this part of Esther's story. Oh, I love it. It turned out better than anyone could imagine, except for Haman. But God, Esther knew that you were working. You broke your silence. All she had to do was trust you when there was a fog she couldn't see through. God, that's us today. We've got some fog we can't see through. We're, we're struggling to get to where you're calling us to be. But yet, we won't give up. We won't shrink back. We're going to stand up and be counted. And Father, right now, even in our imperfections and sin, help us to be people of integrity you can count on. God, help us to do what you've called us to do and wait. Help us to see beyond to what you can already see for us. And we will put all of our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. You're amazing. God is such a good God. And I, I know this story of Esther is changing your life the way it's changing mine. In fact, would you do this? Just have a, a, a call out to Pastor Liz online. Let her know you're there. You don't have to tell us your whole name, but will you say, hey, Pastor Liz, it's, and, and put your first name in. Will you tell her today, can you encourage Pastor Liz with all of the, yes, I am ready to trust God. Will you declare with Esther and Mordecai that we are going to put our faith in God in the midst of the fog until we see all that God sees for us? Man, I love you. It's awesome to be your pastor. And until we see each other again, remember, I do love you so much. Take heart and be trained. Hey friends, thanks for listening. And if you want to be a part of our e-family, then all you have to do to join us is click the link below and you can check us out on our YouTube page. You can also join us on social media. And if you'd like to support the ministry, then just click the link to give. We're so grateful for all of our partners and together we can do more than we can alone. So again, thanks to all of you for listening to this podcast and also thank you for helping us reach people around the world for Jesus Christ.